Palm Sunday is very much about a journey. We hear of Jesus coming to Jerusalem, getting the coal and riding in to the city. When we go on a long journey, I think there's always something exciting about it, particularly as you get closer to the end, unless you're driving in France. When Amanda and I went to LPO, we were thinking, this is great, it's a lovely road, we're absolutely enjoying this, and then we hit the roundabout, and the roundabout, and the roundabout, and the roundabout, and what felt like endless roundabouts going the wrong way around them, which was really, really tough. But once we'd got through all of that, the most exciting bit happened because we got near the destination we were going, and we saw the sign that said LPO. When we go on a journey... We are doing it for a reason, to reach a destination. Jesus, too, was reaching his destination. This morning, we read how Jesus came from the east, walking up from Jericho to enter into Jerusalem. Now, he must have been tired because it's actually quite an intense hill climb to get from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jericho is 825 feet below sea level, I believe, and uh, to Jerusalem, which is around 2,500 feet. So it was a big climb. I believe that's right. I'm not entirely sure. But as he he does that, he gives his disciples specific instructions, telling them to go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there, tied there, that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. There's no ambiguity in what he says. He doesn't say, Actually, James, John, my feet are getting a bit tired. Can you go and get me a donkey to ride in on? He doesn't say that. But what he says is, go and find the colt that is tied there, which no one has ever ridden. And that is how he is going to continue his journey as we near the destination, which we get to at the end of this Holy Week. Jerusalem itself is a busy city with a history of being a key defensive stronghold. But it's now finding itself turned into a vulnerable and isolated place. Enter Herod. He changed the city's focus from defense and water supplies into being a center of religious pilgrimage. It's true that Jerusalem always had a temple popular for local pilgrims. But Herod decided to focus on the tourist industry a bit more, making the temple bigger, more spectacular, bringing in more and more money for the temple and for himself. Indeed, we know that in the next couple of days, before we get to Monday Thursday, Jesus goes into the temple and is so cross, he turns all the tables over because they're there collecting the money. Jerusalem was becoming a must-see tourist destination, the ultimate place of pilgrimage, if you like. And it worked. There were hundreds of thousands of visitors every year. They introduced a temple tax, which brought in even more money, which meant that Jerusalem was becoming a rich city. And the ruling Romans loved to show off their power, their wealth, and their splendor. That all sounds great. Wouldn't you love to go there? Well, actually, in that city, there was another part, the lower city, which was a place of dirt, a place of uncleanliness, of hunger and poverty, built up slums with room upon room upon room, dark alleyways, which even the hardest most fearless Roman centurions avoided. There were no go areas where going there might risk losing your life. The people living in this part of Jerusalem were living in despair. 
the ruling Pharisees, the Jews which like to make lots of rules to help people follow God, including the purity laws like having to avoid dead bodies or sewage, made, they were impossible to follow in a place like this. So as these people heard the trumpet announcing the temple sacrifice, did they happily rush to the temple to worship? Or did instead they think perhaps they looked around at each other and said, well, you know, it's, we're quite dirty, it's unclean. We're never going to be pure enough to enter the temple. It's into this city that Jesus enters on Palm Sunday. A city which is rich, which has lots of tourists, and a city which is unclean and dirty with slums. That's the city that Jesus is entering into. He would have entered past thousands of Jewish pilgrims who were camping outside the city because they couldn't afford to go into the city walls. As he rode past them on the colt, we read of clothes being put down in front of him, with other gospels talking about palm leaves also being thrown. You might have noticed Luke doesn't actually mention the palm leaves. And his followers are shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I imagine the crowd perhaps was made up of those people who Jesus had restored sight to. Those people who were now able to walk again. Those people who had set the oppressed free, like it tells us in Isaiah. The call on us, as well as those who were the curious followers. And I imagine that people will have got really caught up in the celebration. People were wondering what it was all about. There was the joy and the excitement of Jesus entering the city. But there were also those who weren't at all happy about what Jesus was preaching and what he was doing. And it seems now at this stage that Jesus is finally being recognized, at least by some, as the Messiah as the king who is coming to reign. Throwing down cloaks onto the ground was only done for royalty. So thank you, Julia, for putting your coat down and treating me as royalty. <laughs> it was only, so putting the, clo the, clothes down, the cloaks down on the floor was only for royalty. It wasn't for esteemed guests. It wasn't for wise older men. It was only for those with royal blood. But what about the cult? Why on earth would Jesus ask, his disciples, to get a cult. Because a king would not have used one of these, especially one that had not been trained. We need to turn back to the Old Testament at this point to see. Because in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So those who were gathered outside Jerusalem and inside the city walls, as Jesus arrived, would have understood exactly what was happening here. As Jesus arrives on a cult, he is Jesus proclaiming himself as king of all. And I wonder if we can learn, actually, a thing or two from the crowd. They both acknowledge him as king. They shouted out at the top of their voices, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And perhaps it's worth looking at the rest of chapter 9 of Zechariah. Not now, but I encourage you to go back and have a read of it. So we've got Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, entering into Jerusalem. But as so often, 
He is actually a topsy-turvy Messiah. A God who seems to do the things the wrong way round. A grown man is on an untrained donkey, followed by the poorest pilgrims. A group of people shouting and throwing things on the ground. Where are the trumpets? Where are the white, amazing, decorated horses, the shields, the foot soldiers? What about the flag leading the procession? The foot soldiers at the front getting rid of those people who are getting in the way of the procession. Where are all of them? They're not here at the moment. Where's the imperial show of power? Because that's the way the Romans did it. That's the way it was done. Wealth, privilege, and power. Rather interestingly, on the same day, this was happening too. A majestic display of power and might. Because on that day, when Jesus enters on the cult, Pontius Pilate is entering Jerusalem too. The sunshine bouncing off the gleaming armor of the Roman soldiers. The spear carrying cavalry on horseback. And the whole procession showing real political strength and power. But on the other side, the real king is entering on the cult that's too small for him. With people calling out who don't really understand what they are saying. On one side of the city, a warmonger. On the other, a lover of peace. On one side, the military establishment with its violence, its lover of power. And on the other side, a Messiah who comes and asks us to turn the other cheek. This topsy-turvy Messiah annoys the religious lot. They ask him to quiet and down. Who ask him to quiet down his disciples, sorry. Who are clearly rejoicing far too much. It's stealing the thunder from Pilate's entrance. And then he starts weeping as he enters the city, mourning the fact that his followers don't quite understand the point. I wonder, do we too sometimes miss the point? Do we too quickly forget that we worship a God who was, it seems, most at home among the poor and the unclean? Do we forget the meaning of the cries, Hosanna? Do we just say it because it's something we say in church? Whereas actually when it's translated directly, it means I beg you to save or please deliver us. That's what these people are crying out to Jesus on Palm Sunday. Please deliver us. Please save us. In our Western society, the streets are peaceful, particularly in, in where we are. But we obviously we know over in Ukraine, those streets are far from peaceful at the moment. As we continue to hear of the atrocities that are taking place, we can see just how different things can be. In our Western society, where the streets are peaceful, it's easy to forget the kind of Jerusalem, sorry, the kind of situation into which Jesus rode on that colt. Perhaps this year we should think, what would it look like to Jesus ride on a colt into the streets of Kiev, into the streets of the Donbass region, into the streets of, is it Bucha? I don't think that's how you pronounce it. Perhaps that is more what Palm Sunday looked like. Jesus coming amongst the poor and the broken. He wasn't coming in in power. He wasn't coming into a church which is, let's face it, middle class. He will have been going to the poor and the powerless. And they would have been shouting to him, please deliver us. I beg you to save us. 
the streets of Jerusalem where the poor were too unclean to go in the temple, where politics and power were order of the day, and where worshipping the wrong way could get you killed, rode our King of Kings, rode Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whom we worship today. And into those same streets he rides today. He rides into those situations of despair. He rides into those situations where we're struggling. He rides into those situations where we are weeping. Into places where love is trampled underfoot by ruthless power. Think of Ukraine. He is right there in the midst of that situation. We've heard the stories. We've had the video a few weeks ago of those Ukrainian students singing, My God is mighty to save. When the electric had gone out, when you heard the bombs in the background, they were still standing there with a guitar praising God. And they were praising in Russian. That's the places where Jesus is. Where the poor, the powerless, the hurting and the broken are. That's the place where Jesus is entering today. In areas where it seems there is no hope. Our King of Kings rides in on the colt, bringing the kingdom of God in. A kingdom of freedom from fear, hope for the future, and peace for today. And Lord, we pray that that would be this case in Ukraine, that there would be peace, that there would be hope, and there would be an end to all the hostilities. But it's interesting to note that whilst all of this is going on, whilst Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, to the poor and the powerless. We've got places like um, on the other side of the city, the posh places, the rich places, where politics and power are at play. We've got Pontius Pilate riding in. Do people just follow a majestic, good-looking, awesome procession? Where would you be on that day? If you were there on that Palm Sunday, would you be with Jesus, with the unclean, with those who are poor and powerless, broken, hurt, all of those? Would you be on that side, outside of the city walls, shouting, Hosanna to the King of Kings? Or would you be on the other side of the city, in the rich side, looking at this majestic procession, perhaps thinking, oh, well, that Roman soldier's probably, you know, he's a little bit out of time. Which side would you be on? How often do we slip into that sense of that side because it's the most comfortable? rather than seeing what is Jesus asking of us? What is Jesus calling us to do? How can we help in those situations? I was challenged as I prepared this. I wondered what despair-filled places could we go as a church? In Luton, in Bushmead, there are those places of despair. How could we reach out to our community? How could we go out and show Jesus to them, to those who are hurting, to bring the kingdom in? How can we take a stand against powers that try and bring hate and division? How can we go into those places and sow the seeds of a gospel that is full of love, joy, and peace? This morning, in a moment, we're going to receive our palm crosses. Now, we do that every year. And perhaps we take it, we perhaps put it on our fridge or put it in our car and it stays there. But actually this year, let's take that cross. Let's hold on to that cross and let's think about which side of the city are we. Can we make that step 
to the uncomfortable side. We've talked a lot about being uncomfortable in the last few months here. Can we take that step to be on the uncomfortable side? To reenact Jesus' triumphal procession into Jerusalem where he is bringing his light to the darkness. Where he is bringing his love to the despairing. Can we do that? And as we look at that palm cross, perhaps put it in your Bible so you see it every day. Use it as your bookmark. As we look at that palm cross, we think of the, the king who rides on a colt, not full of power and procession and majesty and awe, but who comes to the holy, the humble, the broken. Can we shout Hosanna to the king of kings? Lord, would you save us? Lord, would you save our country? Would you save Ukraine? Would you save the world? Let's pray together for that obedience to usher God's kingdom in as we enter this Holy Week, as we go through the well-known stories of what happens. The Last Supper, Peter's betrayal, the death of Jesus on the cross, the utter despair and feelings of loss on Holy Saturday due to the joy of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Each day as we journey through this week, let's look back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is the King of Kings who we worship. Let's pray. Father God, forgive us for those times when we seek power, where we seek the good-looking, awesome processions, where everything is perfect. Help us to look for those places of despair so that we can bring hope. Help us find those places of darkness so we can bring light. Help us reach out to those who are hurting and bring them love. And as we cry, Hosanna, Lord, may you save us and may you save those around us and as we begin this journey through Holy Week, we pray that we wouldn't just go through the motions this year, but that we would actually take time to reflect on what it truly means that you were willing to go to the cross to take our sins and die for us, but to beat death, to rise to new life and give us a hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.